I was looking at how do I generate some income and revenue in lockdown and COVID and like what is it that people want right now and butter chicken is something that people kind of crave and there is definitely like an emotional connection to for people. Today on Dirty Linen, we are going to dive deep into one of my absolute favourite things and that is Indian food. Even as I say that, uh, there are just so many directions already that I'm too thrilled to go in. Uh, the guest today, our guest today, our honoured guest is Misha Tropp, uh, a Melbourne chef. I've eaten his food at pubs and restaurants and in my own home. Misha, welcome to Daddy Linen. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm always obsessed with some aspect of Indian cuisine. And when I say Indian cuisine, I could be talking about hundreds of different cuisines. Uh, but at the moment, my absolute re-obsession is uttapam. Yeah, it's such a delicious South Indian breakfast kind of snack. Um, uh, I highly recommend it. So I probably, I mean, I feel like, you know, every time I post about my uttapam, I, you know, I get new tips from people who know a lot more about it than I do. But as far as I understand it, it's basically uh, a particular type of rice, idli rice, and a particular type of dal or a dal, and you, they're they're soaked and then they're ground and mixed together and fermented, and you should put a little bit of fenugreek in there. And there's a lot of arguments about if salt goes in or at which point. Um, but then you get this beautiful frothy batter, and it's the same batter that's used for idli and dosa and uttapam. Am I, tell me where I've gone wrong. Totally. I think also it should be mentioned that the thin dosa that you're talking about is more of a restaurant style thing. At home, people kind of put dosa more as like a thick pancake. Um, it's It can be either. So, But utapam is definitely just cooked one side, whereas dosa is more... At home, it's cooked both sides, and then in a restaurant, you cook it one side. There's so many. I think it's a definitely a family thing, and like how different people prefer it, and even different members of the family all want it done differently because of preferences. Mm. I I just love it. Like to me, it says it speaks of one of the things that I love so much about Indian food, and that's this incredible, rich use of simple ingredients in multiple ways. It's just so, I don't know, it's uh, its so rich and just brilliant and exciting. I think, the, I think the thing that I find the most interesting about that style of South Indian fermented batters is there's just so many. Like you have your uttapam, which is delicious, mixed with lentils, and then you've got things like Upams, which you'd know as um, hoppers, like Sri Lankan hoppers, which you come across from like uh, Tamil Nadu. And then things like kalapam, which are like more like a thick cake kind of rice batter that's steamed. Um, and every, what, 50 to 100 kilometres, there's different versions of it in different communities doing it slightly differently. So it's such a broader range of... It's really similar to how we have different styles of bread there in the south of India. You have many different styles of fermented rice dishes. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I just love that idea of travelling from place to place and the cuisine changing just as the landscape might change. It's just, yeah, such a feature of, of Indian food. And I suppose, you know, obviously lots of other places you could say that 
about Italy as well. You could say it about, you know, you could say it about lots of places. You could say it about Australia. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm particularly obsessed with Indian food. I think the thing that's interesting about Indian food is where it's like Italy, is, it's recorded and it's well known. Even in India, people, because it's not documented and it's a family, generally family traditions passed down, there's a, so much information always to learn that you don't know about. Yeah, well, t- tell us about your learning journey with Indian food, Misha, because you were born here, right? Yeah, totally. So I think I started out and I thought I knew a lot, which it turned out I really didn't know anything. Um, and so I started traveling to and from India, spending time in people's homes or just going around to different places and eating food and experiencing food and kind of starting to get an understanding of just how broad Indian food culture was. And I think now I would say I know, I feel like I know less than when I started because every time I find out something new, there's something else that I don't know. So I would say that that obsession started around 2014. And from there, I guess over time I've grown in confidence and spent more time understanding and developing the style of cooking that I do to the point now where I I would say I know a small amount, but the little bit I do know, I, I feel like I cook it well and I have the confidence to do it in a way that I'm proud of. Wow. that's That sounds like a really good position to be in because, I mean, I love food because, you know, you're going to learn something every day and that you're, there's never any need to stop learning because, yeah, there's, there's always more to know. But to feel like you've got this really strong a basis, uh, you know, which from which to uh, enact the joy of feeding people. That must be a really nice feeling. It's been really nice getting to this point where I feel like I'm confident in how I'm cooking. I definitely think as a chef you can fall into the trap of second-guessing yourself sometimes, and I definitely think that I fall into that trap. The amount of times that I've felt that what I'm cooking isn't good enough and yet everyone turns around to me and, and tells me how much they've enjoyed it. And that's just from doing the long hours and sometimes being trapped in within those four walls and not really having perspective on where you're at. Yeah, that's really interesting. So were you already working as a chef before you dug really deep into your Indian heritage? I would say that I started chefing at the time that I realised that even though I had a really deep knowledge of food, I wasn't a chef. And so at the same time as I started deep digging into Indian food, I realized that if I wanted to continue to improve cooking and being good at it, I also needed to become a chef. I would say I think the first job I ever had in a restaurant that was decent would have been working at host under Florian Ribble, who's a good friend now. And was that cooking? Uh, yeah, that was cooking in the kitchen at host. Okay, and what were you doing before that, before you started cooking? Uh, it was still cooking. I just wouldn't have called it chefing. I, I, <laughs> like I, I worked at, for a cousin when I got back from London at a cafe, running a small kitchen, and then in London I was managing volunteers at a charity um, serving food to the homeless people. So like I've always been around food, but I think there's definitely a big difference between being able to cook and having the skills of being a chef and being able to produce something day in, day out. 
Absolutely. And what about when you were growing up? Like was um was Indian food something that you guys always ate at home or was there yeah, were there lots of other cuisines um finding their way into the home? I would say that we had a mixture of lots of different influences. Definitely there was a when we did eat Indian food, it was definitely very Carolan. So mum would cook like a cabbage thoran um or like a squid curry or um If I harassed her enough, she'd make like a biryani. Um, But it wasn't a lot of the food we ate. Like I also, dad's side of the family is Jewish. So I grew up eating gefilte fish and like all sorts of other things that a typical Indian kid wouldn't eat. (laughs) Wow. What's the, I mean, there's Jewish people everywhere. So what's the, what's the go with Jewish Indian food? I don't know it well. I think since... Israel's been formed. Most of the Jews in India have kind of immigrated back to Israel. So that community is kind of dying out. Um, I know there's a chef called um, Zachary who's definitely pushed regional Indian food and explored regional Indian food really well. Um, He's based out of Bombay and he has some recipes for like Cochin style chicken curries. it's hard to find that knowledge because there is so few people alive these days. Mm, wow. That's so interesting. Cause yeah, as you say, there's so much about Indian food that's not documented and you just, as much as there's so much to discover, I suppose there's always a bit of a lament about what's, what's been lost. Yeah. I think since Indian food for my generation has become a bit cooler, especially in India, there's been a massive push to document and record that information. And I think that's really exciting from the perspective of now there's, there's like magazines like Goya journal who do do an amazing job of like documenting food culture um, and sharing recipes from different families and having that resource, I think makes a big difference, especially for Indians who live outside of the country who, are really interested in the culture and want to learn about the culture, but don't necessarily have access to it all the time to learn. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when I was, I was making Udapam the other day and I, there's an event that's going on on Sundays at the moment called Solidarity Pancakes, which Sandra DeMeo from Vic Health has started up basically just for people to gather around food in the way that we can these days, which is over the internet. And um, so I was making Utapam for my solidarity pancakes. That's the hashtag. And on Twitter, like there was about, I don't know, 20 people like Indian gynecologists and engineers and, you know, and just, you know, people who just loved food. There were so many people weighing in on (laughs) different things that I could do. And, you know, people were shocked that I put an egg on top and then other people were like, no, that's really normal in some places. And it's just, there's just so much enthusiasm and interest. There's so much passion for food in India. It's like, I think it's almost like the national pride of India is shown through people's love of food and passion for like being able to share it with people. And I think especially when Indians get to see it in a context that they haven't seen it before, I think that's something that they get really proud of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, I mean, I feel so, 
out of depth, you know, like why, who am I to cook, th- cook this dish? But I feel like, you know, if you do it with a respectful attitude and, you know, with a, with a open, open mind to, to learn, then there is, yeah, there's such a sense of welcome as well. And I know from traveling in India, when you ask questions about the food, you know, people are so excited to tell you more and there is always more to tell. Totally. It, 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 at the end of the day, the Indian culture revolves around food and rituals around food. Um, everything from being healthy and like understanding Ayurveda through to like how you feed people leading up to weddings. I think it's such an integral part of the culture. Um, and it's something that here in Australia, we only get to really dig the surface of it. Um, but at the same time, it, we've got some really exciting chefs starting to explore it, which is a really great thing now. Yeah. I mean, definitely Indian food in Australia has, you know, just, yeah, it's so different to how it was like maybe 20 or 30 years ago where it was just, you know, 10 sauces and, and different, different proteins. It's, um, it must be really frustrating for people who know a lot about the subtleties and regional variations in Indian food to see a cuisine so flattened in uh, in another country. <laughs> it, it, I, I think frustrated is a particularly good term, but also at the same time it's exciting because I think we get to now see what Indian food can be and how it can be done really well. Like if you look at like what Harry is doing with Bidji Dining and like Nabila and Sari at Sunda and what he's doing, like I think it's introducing a really high standard to a population that is really enjoying it. Mm. Well, Misha, tell us what you're doing and, and how you've come to it because, um, yeah, we've sort of, we've, I want to hear more about what happened to you. You're in the kitchen at host and then, you know, obviously a whole lot's happened since then. So maybe start at the end and work back. So right now we're cooking butter chicken because, uh, I guess it was an accidental business that, um, we, I was looking at how do I generate some income and revenue in lockdown and COVID and like, what is it that people want right now? And butter chicken is something that people kind of crave and there is definitely like an emotional connection to for people. And so I was like, well, let's just cook amazing butter chicken and cook it in big batches and let, I'll run around doing deliveries around Melbourne. And so I, I called up Dave Mack and was like, hey, don't borrow the kitchen at Pope for a weekend. And so that sold out and I was like, well, let's do this all over again. And so in a space of a week, I threw together a brand, Elsie's, which Elsie's my grandmother. Um, she's the one that came out to Australia and kind of helped created the life that me and my mum and her sisters all live now. Um, and so we relaunched it and the reception has been amazing. And, and it's, I'm really enjoying cooking one thing really well and kind of just bringing like food into people's lives on the weekend has been such an enjoyable process. Um, and then before that, I just spent 13 months in India um, researching and developing a range of curry pastes, which are not on the market currently, but at some point will be. Um, and then before that, I was at the Rochester Hotel um, cooking South Indian food. I think that's probably the last time I was doing something in Melbourne. Tell me about this time spent in India because weren't you going to open a restaurant there as well? So I was setting up a food brand um, manufacturing curry pastes while I was working in Bombay. 
um, that has kind of all been put on hold due to issues around COVID and me coming back to Australia and the fact that I, for me, for that business to continue running, I had to live and work in India, which was kind of challenging when COVID's raging and I also needed to be in Australia and have the freedom to be able to come home. So that all kind of came to a halt around February this year. So I spent all of COVID in India and I managed to get back on a repatriation flight. Um, and so this last, what, 18 months with COVID has been such a wild experience, I guess. Yeah, that's that's really crazy. So when did you actually get back to Australia? So I got back in February, um, probably a month before everything went pretty tits up in India. Gosh, I mean, were you trying to get back for a long time? What was, yeah, what was it all like? I I made the choice to stay. I, I guess I can be quite stubborn. And once I decided that I wanted to get this business off the ground, um, I, the, the options at the time were come home to Australia to not much going on in the hospitality industry and not really any work either um, or stay there. And I kind of felt relatively safe and felt that, even though I'd be exposed to COVID being in a younger age bracket, I would probably be okay and kind of took that risk. And then by the time I left, I think less so than COVID being a struggle, it's just being in a city without a support network when you're kind of in lockdown for a long period of time. And it, it's hard, as everyone here kind of knows, it's hard enough managing your life when there's a lot of restrictions on it, but in an environment that's new, it, it's in, it just makes it incredibly more challenging. Yeah, it must have been really, really hard. And yeah, I mean, I just I find it so hard to imagine a city like Mumbai in lockdown. I mean, I was actually just found old messages that we'd sent back and forth um, when I, when we were arranging this chat, and it was it was when I was in Mumbai, and you were giving me restaurant tips, and <laughs> I just. It just took me right back. Like I could feel the heat on me and I could hear the um, rickshaws and I I just could, yeah, remember how hot and sore my feet were from walking around so much. Um, But, yeah. It's an incredible city. Like Mumbai, it's loud and it's busy and there's an incredible amount of culture there. But because the, the majority of the city and all of the things of interest are kind of, on the street and they're all outdoors. And so, or if you, and then there's a few interesting places like in terms of places like Bombay Canteen or Master in terms of restaurant environments. I think when that all of a sudden isn't as accessible because you've got a pandemic raging through the city, it definitely removes some of the beauty of Bombay. Yeah. I just can't imagine that city not being on the street. <laughs> there was this There was this morning I woke up, I was stuck in an apartment in uh, Gorigau and I walked down like the main highway through this suburb and the only thing on the street was this cow. <laughs> there was not one bit of traffic on what would have been like the busiest road in the area. It was such an incredible experience to see 
a city of 20 million people just completely shut down. Because, I mean, I think what happened in the big cities in India is that a lot of a lot of people in normal times sort of flocked to them from rural areas. But I think with COVID, a lot of people went back to the villages, didn't they? And that was the spread that was in their first wave came from a lot of city people going back to the villages that they're from, you know, the places that they would normally send whatever money they could home to. So even that infrastructure must have been different. I mean, they're the essential workers, right? Like those people that are just out there doing the business of the city every day. There's there's definitely that. I, there was a probably four months where I think they called it, from what I understand it was, and I had read, it was the biggest mass migration of people in modern history. So at the time people were, because you had no transport on trains and that all the trains had been shut down, people were walking like four to 800 kilometres to get back to their villages because obviously the support structure in the cities was relatively poor and all of it, and they had no work. And so people were just up here and leaving. I think also Bombay was different from the rest of India. It locked down a lot harder. So there you would have whole entire societies, say my business partner at the time, she wasn't allowed to leave her apartment building for two and a half months, not even to walk down it out of the apartment building outside to get some fresh air. So it was, we have been in strong lockdowns here in Australia, but what we experienced in that first two months in Mumbai was in, was incredibly harsh. I've, I can't, don't think I'll ever experience anything like it again. Yeah. I mean, did you, so you decided to stay and then were you like, Oh my God, what have I done? The first month was amazing. I just, I literally did nothing for a month and I lay around and I'd go for a run and kind of exercise or I cooked some food and I really enjoyed the downtime. The second month, I probably lost my mind a little bit. I, yeah, definitely went through my mind of like, what the hell am I doing here? Doing stuck in an apartment in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then uh, from that point, it started to get a bit better. Like we started to be able to get out of the house and I got some permits to start going to work and just having that movement kind of, things started to get me back a bit to normal or what felt more normal than what we'd been in. And when you came back here in Feb, I mean, was that because you had a sense that things were going to get very awful in a COVID sense or was it just, I mean, did you have, was it, was that any part of your decision that you just wanted to get home to where there were more support structures? Yeah, I think there's a limit to what I was capable of doing in terms of pushing myself mentally to get to the end to an end goal and I think I just got to the point where it was more important to be around support structures and to be home in Australia than it was to continually push for a goal that wasn't in an environment I felt comfortable in so that so I think that's where I came back to Australia and I guess also I'm born and bred in Melbourne so doing things in Melbourne is incredibly easy in comparison it must have been so shocking and devastating for you to get back here, great, but then to see what unfolded in India in the months that followed. Yeah, I. it was a pretty weird experience. I definitely felt like I had friends who were going through some pretty awful stuff and not being able to help or contribute definitely felt quite horrible. And it, especially that feeling of like, you just run away from something that a whole heap of friends were experiencing that you didn't have any ability to impact. 
And how do you feel about it now, like being here? And I mean, do you, do you, what do you think? I feel incredibly lucky. I, I think, well, we ran a fundraiser for COVID in India just as we went into COVID in uh, June. So I think my ability, at least having the ability to give a little bit of something back definitely made me feel a little bit better about the privilege I had to have left. Um, and now I, I feel lucky that it's still challenging here, but I also feel lucky that I'm in an environment that's safe and supported. Mm. And what about, you know, what's the future if that's not a day-by-day proposition as it is for as it is for all of us in some ways? Uh, the future at the moment is to kind of keep on going with what I've just created. Elsie's is going really well and I'm really enjoying cooking simple, honest food. So that will we're currently looking at some spaces and kind of trying to find a venue for it for the new year. And we'll keep on doing deliveries all through lockdown until that ends. Um, and I've got like a little one month stint down at Avani wines in December cooking Indian food down there. And they're a beautiful family who make amazing wine. So I think the future is really exciting now. Um, and just kind of keep on rolling with whatever weird stuff keeps on coming at us. <laughs> yep. Do you think, I mean, so to create a restaurant that's with butter chicken at its heart, I mean, do you feel like that's a really good post-COVID or, you know, whatever part, stage of COVID it's going to be? Do you think that's a really good model? Like do you think restaurants with or businesses with simple food ideas are really where it's at? I think that there's a lot, I think opportunities are in different places to where they used to be. Um, I definitely think from a staffing point of view, it's going to be really important to be able to manage how you produce food in restaurants because we've, we just don't have access to the quality of staff and the few people who are really good are stretched quite thin. Um, so definitely, I think there's an opportunity there to do something really well, but keep it simple. Um, Mm. But at the same time, I think there's opportunities in other areas. I think there's some really great stuff going on in, in like more refined dining because there's now a group of people who haven't had a way to spend money. So I don't think it's all just in going simpler. There'll be a few different changes for, for individuals. And what about for Indian food? Like where do you see, how do you see that progressing in Australia? Well, hopefully it's not all about butter chicken because as much as we all love it, <laughs> it's definitely some, It's definitely only a very small part of Indian cuisine. I think the interesting thing at the moment is that it's a bunch of really young, great Indian chefs who've come up in the last five years who are now starting like who are solid CDPs and becoming sous chefs. And I think they will start to do some interesting things over the next five years um, and really push regional and exploring Indian cuisine in a way that we haven't really experienced before. Tell me if you think I'm crazy, Misha, but what I really want to see, and I'm sorry that my obsession's coming to the fore again, I really want to see Utapam's in every cafe. Like, I just don't understand why Utapam can't be part of the great Melbourne, Australia cafe breakfast. Like, don't this, I don't know if this is really wrong to say it, but you could, 
you could smash some avo over it. You could put some egg over it. Like it's gluten-free. It sits there in the fridge, the fermented batter. Like why can it not be done? It can totally be done. You just have to have someone who wants to do it, right? But like every kitchen's got an Indian cook in it. Why can't we make this happen? We can totally make this happen. We just need to, we should do it somewhere. Do you think it's a bad idea or is it only me that would want it? <laughs> I, I, I think it's a great idea. I also think that, yeah, I, I think it's a great idea, but I also think that it, it's definitely still a niche. There are things that I, there are things of breakfast that I crave more about Indian foods than it was a Okay, wait till I smash some avo over it, then you'll be into it. <laughs> Just wait until you try Ross omelette. That's probably the the thing that I'm obsessed about at the moment. What is that? Oh my god, what is it? It's definitely going to be Ross omelettes <laughs> are Joan Street food. So it's basically like a like a thin omelette with green chili, tomato, and onion, and then you put the gravy from yesterday's chicken charcuterie curry over the top. You basically eat it with white bread rolls. Yes, that sounds so good. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. Uh, um, okay, it sounds amazing. What's chicken shakuti, sh- did you say? Chicken shakuti is a Goan dish. Um, it's kind of made with um, coconut and spices and tomato. It's like a light coconut gravy with chicken. Um, it's delicious and in Goa, you get these kind of sl- like local street stalls that serve it up, and then in the morning they're just serving it with eggs as like a local takeaway thing. Yum! That does sound outstanding. Well, okay, maybe we can have a few different items on the menu at our cafe. <laughs> this sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right. If the if the butter chicken, you can do butter chicken at night, and um, yeah, fermented. And egg Indian brunches. Do you do you have a stone grinder? I can lend you one if you'd like. You can make... I'm just doing it all in the thermomix, but yeah, I should oh. probably get a bit more authentic. Yeah, I'll lend you a stone grinder. All right, it's on. Um, Misha, is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, I think we've covered it all. Thanks for having me, Danny. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care. And good luck with um, Elsie's. The butter chicken is outstanding and uh, everyone needs to try it. Thank you, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.